This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to Tuesday's episode. I am excited about this one because I have wanted Dr. Sterling on the podcast for a while. And finally, I was like, Renee, just message her. And she was like, oh my God, yeah. Also, I discovered during our conversation that she is married to an emergency physician, ER doctor. I don't know, emergency room doctor. I don't know. How do you say that? Anyways, so we have lots of things in common. And like, as a mom with little kids who is married to a specialist or someone that is at work a lot. She was so fun to talk to and we touched on a bunch of different topics. So she is an OBGYN and then she had her children and she now runs Sterling Parents, which is this massive parenting community. It is so, so smart. It's basically 24-7 pregnancy support and postpartum support and parenting support, all the things, all the time. So we get into healthcare for pregnancy and postpartum. I asked her what she thought could be improved in the healthcare system. We also touched on the difference between having a midwife versus an OBGYN. And I found it very interesting that she actually had her children with midwives. I was so surprised when she said that. So obviously I asked her about that and why she made that decision. Also, we hear a lot online about the mental load of motherhood, but we specifically touched on the mental load of just being uncertain about everything because we are constantly bombarded with information and we're constantly questioning ourselves. So we really get into that. And then she tells us how she teaches her community to make parenting decisions in a confident way. And we had a really good discussion about that. It's just a lovely conversation. I love when I have people on the podcast and it's basically like if we were out for a beer, assuming she drinks beer, I don't know if she does, but let's say we were out for a beverage, like this is probably what our conversation would be. And I love that. So I hope you guys enjoy it. So please welcome Dr. Christine Sterling to the Mom Room Podcast. All right. Today I am speaking with Dr. Christine Sterling. I feel like I have been following you for a while and yeah, I'm excited that you're here and we get to have this conversation. The first thing that I always ask people when they are mothers is what their transition into motherhood was like. So what was that like for you? Were there things that you were like, I think I asked this question to everyone because I was so shocked. Like, I was like, oh my God, 
this is what it is? Like, did other people feel this way? Like, is it only this hard for me and nobody else? So I love asking people this question. So I had my first in 2017. So it was a little bit before people were really sharing broadly on social media. Like it was still, social media was still like curated, beautiful. And like the the vulnerability and the authenticity hadn't really shown up as much. So to say I was blindsided is a little bit of an understatement, which is truly atrocious considering that I am an OBGYN, right? And the fact that I was so shocked at how difficult it is really speaks to how little we are preparing people for that transition. And I think what was so difficult for for me, and I see a lot with the people who are in my community, is that I was used, I, I had done a lot of difficult things in my life, you know? And in my my thinking was, you know, I'm a physician, I've done 30-hour calls, I've done life-threatening situations, I made it through medical school, residency, you know, top of my class. What's a little baby gonna do to me, you know? And the thing that was most difficult for me in the transition is the skills that I had used to get through difficult times and to achieve things in my life were no longer helpful to me. In fact, they were harmful to me. So my goal orientation, my determination, all of that just backfired. Because as a parent, you aren't reaching a goal. You are, it's this constant evolution growth process. Feeling determined is just not, it's not the vibe. (laughs) It's not the vibe (laughs) of parenthood, you know? It's more about, you know, growing and being and giving yourself grace and embracing your imperfection. And all of that was, those were skills that I did not have. And I had to learn. How old were you when you had your first? I was 32. Okay, so I was 34. And I always think about how I had lived a whole life as an adult that was independent, living on my own, very goal-focused, like finishing my PhD, like getting scholarships and going to conferences. And then I have a baby at 34. And like you said, it's the complete opposite. It's like, okay, now you just sit at home and like, I'm a busybody. And that was the hardest part was like, no, I need to like have a goal and then accomplish it. Yeah, yeah. The productivity <laughs> pressure is for real. It's yeah. for real. Yeah. And it's like yeah, you're yeah. going nonstop, but at the same time, I was very bored, if that makes sense. It's a different kind of intellectual stimulation. And, you know, one of the things that I try to do in my community with my members is to show them a developmental path that they're on so that you realize that you are working on skills with what you're already doing. And so it doesn't feel so, I I don't want to use the word pointless, but from an intellectual standpoint, you can feel like I'm just changing diapers and navigating naps. Like, so I think we are growing and developing so much. And I I know this now because I can look back and say the skills that I learned in that first year of being a mom, just as important life skills, perhaps more than everything that I learned in medical school and residency. But I wasn't really aware of the fact that I was learning those things and that I was developing those skills because they aren't the the typical skills that we put up on a pedestal in our culture and in our society. For sure. That is something that I have learned. Nobody gives any kind of like kudos to parenting, to stay-at-home parents. It's quite the opposite. Like nobody respects that 
position in our world. We pretend it's unskilled labor, which is not true. It's not unskilled labor. It is highly skilled. So as an OB, what was your experience with like the postpartum period? Because I know like you're heavily involved in the pregnancy part, but were you kind of taken aback at the postpartum period and what that was like once you went through it? Yeah, because I had trained that we see, you know, we'll see you at six weeks and we have to be worried about, you know, hemorrhage and blood pressure issues and postpartum depression. But I didn't realize that just the, the quote unquote normal stuff was so freaking hard. So it was, it, it took me, you know, I, I can remember one time it was 3 a.m. My, my daughter was crying. I was crying. And my, you know, my husband's also an emergency medicine physician. And I was, was really upset and angry that I hadn't known that this was how it was going to be. And I just was grappling with one, all of the people that I hadn't been there for because I didn't know. And so I was feeling really, really guilty about that. And two, I was just wondering how anybody else does this. I felt like, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a physician, so I know what's happening with me is actually medically okay. So I'm not scared. I know it's, I know I'm okay medically. And I have a literal emergency physician here who can tell me if the baby is okay or not and knows how to evaluate a crying baby. And even though he's not a pediatrician, if it was an emergency situation, he's, you know, the person that you want. So I was like, we have, and we have all these resources. We have support. And it's still so hard. And so, yeah, it, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. I, you know, it changed everything. That's one of the things. I'm always curious when I speak to people who are mothers and who have created like a platform, a community to specifically help other parents. I'm always curious if after you had your own kids, if that's what kind of pushed that because you were like, oh God, like we need more help. Yeah, I'm very justice oriented. And to me, what is the current state of how we treat parents and new parents is very unjust. And so I was faced with the decision, you know, I tried initially, okay, let's work within the system that I was currently in to improve things. I went to my employer. I said this six-week postpartum appointment is not enough. We need to do something differently. People are waking up to the fact that this isn't enough. I was told people have been complaining about that forever. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so I, I tried to go to the kind of the traditional route and be a good doctor and stay in the system. And then I was, I, I realized, okay, it's not going to it's not going to happen there. So my decision, I have a few options. I can go back and I can teach. And so I can teach residents and I can teach medical students. And hopefully that generation can change things. Still kind of within the system, I could start my own cash pay practice because in the United States, one of the main limit limitations is insurance companies. That's why our, we have so many problems with our prenatal care. Okay, I could start a cash practice or... This other idea came to mind of how can I solve this problem now? Because there was a sense of urgency. There's people giving birth now and they don't know and they're not prepared. And the entire, you know, the entire kind of medical field and prenatal care system is acting like the destination of pregnancy is birth. And we're preparing everybody for birth. And I care about that. But the destination of pregnancy is not birth. 
It is parenthood. And it should not be a meme and a joke that they hand you a baby and you're completely unprepared. We should be preparing you through the entire experience. We should be talking to you about the skills that you're going to need. We should be preparing you practically, emotionally, all of it. And then we should continue to support you through the entire first year of that baby's life because every, you know, they're changing so much and so fast and people are just left trying to figure it out, out all on their own. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah. Something that always blows my mind being Canadian is the lack of a maternity leave in the U.S., I can't even, and like my sister just had a baby in June and both her and her fiance are off. Like she works for me, so she's off and her fiance works for the university in town and he's off on paternity leave until February. So they're both at home just with baby. He gets like almost a hundred percent of his pay like till February, to me, it sounds like this fantasy fairyland that you're talking about. Yes. Because my husband, for example, went back to work four days after our baby was born. This is the caveat in Canada is that if you're self-employed, so my husband's a urologist, so he's self-employed technically. So I had Milo on a Friday and he was back at work on Monday because you don't work, you don't get paid. So I think what happens is when people are self-employed, they kind of have to plan to have a baby and like put some savings away and then only take a short amount of time off, which I'm assuming is what people have to do in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, if you don't work for a big company that has a maternity leave, then you have to, you know, I didn't have a maternity, when I was employed, I didn't have a true maternity leave, but California offers you six weeks of disability where I got a fraction of my pay, not very much, very little, but a fraction of my pay. And then I took vacation time. But even as an OBGYN, like my off, my practice did not offer me any kind of payment or salary while I was taking time off after I had a baby. It blows my mind. And I remember I just did an interview with a mom. She has twins, but they're older now. But she was like, oh, no, like she lives in the U.S. And she was like, no, where I am, like where I work, I was really lucky. I had six weeks off. And I was like, six weeks? Like we get 18 months. Like, yeah, that just blew my mind. So how shortly after you had your first did you start your community and your program for parents? I started talking about it on Instagram pretty soon after, but I, you know, I was, I wasn't, I was thinking maybe I'd write a book. And so I started talking about it on Instagram, but I thought that the book would be enough. And then I, you know, I grew and I, I had more kids and in 2019, I decided that I couldn't solve this. I had to solve the problem full time that doing it, like I, I was waking up at like 4am to like write posts and I, and, you know, try to, you know, I would create like postpartum guides, like PDFs, and I would share them with my community. And like, just for free, I was just trying to help people. And then in 2019, I decided that I had to solve this problem full time, I quit my clinical practice, and started developing a membership, I'm um, called Sterling Parents that solves this problem 
where anybody can access it. It's not, you know, it's not restricted to the people that are only in my local community. So is this what you do full-time now? Full-time. Because I always wonder, my husband's a specialist, and I always think to myself, like, how do parents do it when both parents are specialists? Because the schedule, like being on call, it makes no sense. So do you find logistically it's smoother for your family to have you doing this and your husband is an ER physician? Oh, 100%. I mean, we had my mom living with us because he does a lot of night shifts and I did 24-hour shifts. So there had to be, you know, there's not a lot of childcare that's available at 3 a.m. So we had to have my mom live with us. And now we don't. We don't have to have her living here. She still helps, though. Yeah, it's very um, dual physician. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in dual physician, you know, families with kids. And it's hard. It's hard. And oftentimes women tend to go into the slightly more flexible medical specialties. So oftentimes we are, you know, doing the extra work and we are cutting back on our hours. And so I will, you know, it's, I, sometimes I look at my husband and I'm just like, God, I wish I was a man. Like I really wish I, I love, I love being a mom. I, you know, I don't love pregnancy Breastfeeding's okay, but sometimes I just think, you know, it would be really nice to just be able to just work somewhere outside of the home, just think about work and not, I'm always, you know, I work from home. So I'm always kind of doing both. I can be upstairs working on a Zoom with my members, answering their questions, but I'm hearing my two-year-old have a tantrum downstairs. And so my brain is kind of split in half, but it's also, you know, I have a there's a lot of privilege to the fact that I'm able to be here at home working from home. It was really, really hard to be working. I was working 50 to 60 hours a week and when I had Celeste, and it was really hard. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. 
If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. I always think about this like, yes, we are so lucky that my husband has a great job. Like, you know, like we're set financially, didn't have any issues over the pandemic. And I started doing what I'm doing now. And now it's great because I'm flexible, but it also sucks to be the flexible person. It sucks to be the flexible person. the time. <laughs> yeah. And I do. And I always say like, I'm allowed to have these feelings and these things can suck. And it doesn't mean that I want them to change. Like, it doesn't mean that I want my husband to not do what he's doing so that my life can be different. But I can say that it sucks. Like, sometimes. Two things can be true at the same time. Yeah, You can feel a jealousy about your husband getting to leave and just like, I just, you know, I'm a very ambitious person. And so the idea of like, oh my gosh, you get eight hours to just like do your thing. And, you know, that's cool. I like that. I want to do that. Also, I don't. <laughs> I like that I get to be here and I get to be here with the kids because somebody needs to, it actually, it doesn't have to be me. You know, if my career ends up being the the more lucrative career, I am 100% okay saying, all right, dad. Oh my God. This Come is my home. dream. Christine, this home. is, this is yeah. my dream is like, Retire I want, the hubby. exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to make more money than you to be like, oh, well, who's the yeah. default parent now, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Cause like yeah. sometimes he will literally, he'll be on call and he'll get a call and I'm like, oh, do you have to go in? And he's like, yeah. And like, he goes to start getting ready to go into the hospital. And I'm just like, oh, you. Because like, I had to come to terms a long time ago after we had Milo that his job, whether I like it or not, is always going to be number one. Because it's never going to be like, oh, I can't go into a merge to see this person that needs me because Milo has a soccer game. Like, that's not going to totally. happen. Yeah. And 
And, you know, I have to, I'm up at night with the, the baby and oftentimes with the kids because he cannot be sleep deprived and show up and crack someone's chest open the next day. Like, no, I, and I, he is an emergency physician. He needs to be well rested. His patients deserve that. So his, but his family takes the hit. We, we don't have, you know, we have to prioritize his sleep and his rest so that he can be the best for other people's families. And that's, you know, that's what they deserve. Yeah. Look at us saving, (laughs) saving lives at home. (laughs) So after you have three children, so what are some things? So obviously I'm assuming you went with an OBGYN for Mm -hmm. all three. No, no. Oh, this is fascinating to me. Okay. Please tell me more. Why did you make that decision? So you know, we, I trained with midwives. We worked with midwives every single day. And I, I just, I love midwives. I really do. And I I know that a lot of times when I would interact with other OBs, they're like, you get this, you know, you know, it was like, oh, you're, you're another OBGYN. Like, you know what to do. They don't want to, they don't want to talk down to you. Right. So when I was pregnant, I was like, I just want to go with midwives who are going to, you know, they have a different perspective. They have different training. I'm a, you know, a lower risk pregnancy. And one, I want to learn from them. And I, so it's like, I'm just curious, like what it's going to be like, how they are going, what their appointments are going to be like. Two, I just wanted somebody to take care of me. I didn't want the like, oh, you got this girl. I'm not going to explain this to you. I wanted to hear how they explain things and what, how they would treat me. So that's what I asked for from my, my midwives. I say, just kind of like 50% of the time, I want you to forget an OBGYN. And then the other 50% of time, like, let's talk about this for real. And like, <laughs> then I want you to re- remember I'm an OBGYN. So yeah. So how does it work? Because as I was saying in our emails, like in Canada or in Ontario, at least where I am, we have to choose if we want a midwife or an OB because like the healthcare people like won't pay for both. So that's always the dilemma that people are in is like, I want like the service and the benefits that come with a midwife, like the home visits and postpartum and just more of like a one-on-one get to know each other. But I also want the medical part of it too. So people struggle with that decision here, but what's it like in the US for you guys? Do you have to choose one as well? So we have different types of midwives. You, you guys, I think pretty much all of your midwives are what we call certified nurse midwives. So I've seen certified nurse midwives in my pregnancies, and I've had um, certified nurse midwives deliver my babies. Certified nurse midwives, they, they really work with physicians. We work together. They will manage their own patients, but it's always in a, almost always in a, a kind of a collaborative group environment. And so if, if, a higher risk issue comes up, care is just very easily managed either together or you're transferred to a physician or you get a consultation with a specialist like a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So it's a very collaborative relationship between certified nurse midwives and OBGYNs. And we work well together. And, you know, I'm a Kaiser patient, which is a big medical system, you know, a big nonprofit medical system in the United States. And so it's a, it's a nice system. But we also have lay midwives, we have direct entry midwives, and we have certified professional midwives. 
And those are midwives who kind of operate outside of the hospital system. So they do home births, they do births at birth centers, but most hospitals in the United States will not give hospital privileges to somebody, to a, anybody who's less than a certified nurse midwife because that's the, they have more training and they have more hours. And so, you know, hospitals are very big on the, you know, all of that. So if you want to have a home birth or you want to have a birth in a birth center, usually you're, go- you're going to have to choose between an OB and a midwife. But if you're having a birth in a hospital or a birth center that's within a hospital, which is where I had my first, you will oftentimes be seen by midwives, but there are physicians that are a part of that and they're behind the scenes. And if anything, if they need to consult a physician, it's, it's very easy to do. Like I have issue with our healthcare system and with like the standard of care for women in postpartum and all of that. It drives me nuts. And I think it's almost like inhumane at some points. Like it just, I hate it. What was your experience and how do you think it could, like, I don't know what it's like in the U.S. compared to Canada. I always think like, If something is set up as a business, which healthcare is in the States, it would be better. I don't know. Oh, (laughs) we are not in the business, though, of serving the patient. You know what I mean? Like, So it's difficult for physicians because we are really taught and trained to make decisions regardless of the money. That's ethically, we want to make decisions that are that are divorced from you know, the compensation that are divorced from the, what this is going to cost. And truthfully, we don't know what things are going to cost. When I say like set up like a business, I mean, in Canada, we don't have options. It's like, if you want to give birth, you're going to go to the hospital that's down the road, or you're going to be referred to a specialist. And you're lucky if you get into that specialist in the next like six months, like we don't have options where I feel like in the U.S., People do? Yeah. I mean, you can choose. It depends. But you can typically you have a few choices because you have to look at your insurance company is in network with certain hospitals and not in network with others. So you are of a limited selection, but usually you're not you don't just have one place that you could deliver. And then a lot of the people who are having home births and who are having births in, in, in a lot of the birth centers are paying cash. Their their insurance isn't covering that. Interesting. Okay. So in your experience, like your postpartum, your labor delivery, do you think there are things that could make that experience better for women? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything, everything, everything. I think that we don't do a good job of acknowledging the emotional weight and the mental load of pregnancy. And what, you know, when you are pregnant and when you are a new parent, you care, I mean, a parent in general, really, you care so deeply about each choice that you make every day has more weight to it than it did before. You know, when you're, when you're choosing what to eat for lunch, there's more weight to that choice than there was before you were pregnant. When you're choosing what to make for your child, there's more weight to that than what you just threw in your mouth when you were running around before. Each of these choices every day has weight to it. And, you know, we care so deeply about these babies and our children. And we have just, 
we want to do, we want to make the right decisions for them. And we don't help people with that. What, what happens is, is you have all of these questions, all of this uncertainty, and you do what we do, which is you just go get information online. And we consume so much information trying to feel good about our decisions. And more information oftentimes just leads us to second guessing. And then we're just, we, you know, the mental load of parenting is already so big, right? And we're just adding more pieces to our mental load of like, oh, I should, I should look that up. Like, is this really the best choice? I don't know. All of it. We aren't helping people with that. And we know that stress impacts fetal development. We know that stress increases the risk of blood pressure issues and low birth weight and preterm birth. And we're not, like, we have good data on that. And we don't help people with the stress. And we don't, and like I said, we, we treat pregnancy like the birth is the destination and not parenthood. We're not preparing people for where they're going. Mm-hmm. That was my whole thing. I was like, Research is like my middle name. So I was like, did everything possible for labor and delivery preparation, read the books, went to the classes. And labor and delivery, while important, I think is also, it can be largely out of your control. And it's a very short amount of time compared to what your, you know, first year postpartum is. So I remember thinking like in my first week or two in postpartum, why the hell did I spend so much time learning about like the different phases of labor and all this stuff, going to classes and meeting with doulas and, and literally did nothing for postpartum. Super common, super common. Cause nobody said, Hey, maybe attract some of your attention here. And it's some of this stuff is yes, we want to be prepared. So, you know, in my community, we have, I've created the the preparation stuff. Like new, we have a pediatrician who did newborn 101. We have a lactation consultant who did, okay, this is what you need to know about breastfeeding. Here are the products that you should have on hand. Like we do a lot of the preparation work, but we also continue the, we continue the support postpartum. So each month, you get content that's specifically directed to like, okay, let's talk about what's what's going on with baby's sleep, what's going on with their behavior. Hey, witching hour is probably showing up for you right now. Let's talk about ways to manage witching hour. So, you know, oh, you're going to have a dip in your breast milk supply typically around four months. And then baby's brain goes through this developmental change. They start waking up more when they sleep. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about teething. All this stuff delivered to you right before it's going to happen. So you don't have to carry the mental weight of, oh my gosh, then he's going to start teething. When am I supposed to introduce solids? What do I do about peanut allergies? Like all of that stuff, you're, you know, you start thinking about it before it happens. And then you're like, you know, it's like you have to get, you know, your PhD in being a mom on the internet. Yes. Yes. And I like that with your program, it's like everything is in one place because I think with the access that we have to everything. And like, you can just like type something in Google or social media is another thing where you're constantly comparing and wondering what other people are doing and just like hoping that they're doing the right thing. Like, it's nice that everything is like in one spot and we're going to talk about all the different things, you know? It's not just sleep. It's not just this. So people have one spot to go. And here's the problem with doing research online is that unfortunately, 
you're, there's good information and there's bad information. And even when you know the information you're reading, you're like, this doesn't seem right. It still adds to your mental weight. There's that question mark. This person didn't really have credentials, but they said this thing, and now it's living rent-free in your head, and it's causing you that question mark. So one of the things that we do in our community is every single piece of content that's on our database, in our library, in our courses, has a 3E verification. It's evidence-based, it's expert-based, and it's experience-based. So we're talking to people who have been there, and they're not just giving out advice that's really difficult or essentially impossible to use as a parent. And so even if, you know, our members, when they have to go out into the world and look for, you know, other questions that we haven't answered in our our database, in our library, I tell them, you still need to look for the three E's. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Like a thing that drives me nuts is you will scroll on TikTok or whatever it is and people like to use, even if it's an like an academic paper, they use the very insignificant finding that has all kinds of flaws and that the authors themselves have kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. given you read their readers discussion. Caution- yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. We don't want to talk about the discussion. We just want the clickbait title so that we can get all the views. We can get the clicks. We can, you know, even talk shows do this too. And it's like, clickbait central. And then parents see that. And like you were saying, it weighs on them and they're like, so now they're 
in Google trying to figure out if this is in fact true, but they don't have any research training. They can't look at, you know, the data and understand that the sample sizes like mean nothing. And, you know, and that's what gets me. It's like people are so quick to jump on a study and so quick blow it up without even understanding or reading the discussion. Yeah. Or the, the <laughs> results have not been replicated, right? And yeah. we, we you know, a lot, there was an OBGYN on TikTok recently who was saying, and I got tagged in it so many times, he was saying everybody should be induced at 39 weeks because of the ARRIVE trial, this trial that showed that first-time pregnant people who are induced at 39 weeks have a slightly lower risk of cesarean. And I was like, dude, th- that study hasn't been replicated. Before we go telling people that you should be every should be induced at 39 weeks, which is a drastic shift, okay? That is huge. Hospital systems can't do that. There's a lot of downsides to induction that, that are, were not covered in this, this study. Let's at least, can we get another study that has replicated these findings? Yeah, you or know? just have a discussion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's the worst when I get tagged and stuff all the time because it'll be something that like, let's say I make a TikTok about a topic like sleep training, whatever, whatever. And then someone will see another video that says the opposite or they're they're talking about a research, oh, research yeah, yeah, study yeah. and then they yeah. tag me in it. And I'm like, oh, it's the worst when it's a person that is a physician or they do have a PhD in like child psychology or whatever. And I'm like, why would you just like make such a... you You know why. You know why? I, I because know it, why. it it drives engagement, and it's it's about this polarization gets view you know gets eyes on you, but you know that's not good for parents. Sometimes it's a black and white issue. A lot of times there is nuance. There's gray zone, and so and I you know this is one of the reasons why I teach my members how to make decisions in the face of uncertainty. Because when you're when you have a gray zone, you have you cannot rely on the studies or the data to make the decision for you. You have to be an integral part of that decision making process so that you feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Is this the confident decision framework? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did you want to talk about that? Sure. Okay. So basically, I saw this problem with my members that they were making decisions the same way that we we do. You have a question, you go, you gather information, you analyze it. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. That's not really how I go about it. I actually make parenting decisions very similar to how I made decisions as a physician. And the way that we are taught to make decisions as a physician is to first, the first thing a attending physician is going to ask you when you have a new patient and you're a, a training doc is what do you think is going on? So they are engaging what you already know. And then there's oftentimes, you know, if you're, okay, I I want more sleep. And if you're asking, should I sleep train? I want more sleep, but, okay, there's a but. If there wasn't a but, the decision would already be made. You wouldn't need a confident decision framework. You'd just be living your life. You've already made the decision. There's a but. So you need to identify that missing piece, okay? I want more sleep, but I don't really know much about sleep training. So I want to learn that. Then you go and you access, you search and you access help specifically. 
So you need to go to specific resources, not just a general, I'm going to go on TikTok, I'm going to go on YouTube or Reddit, but you're going to specific resources, trusted resources to, to read about sleep training, okay? And then you learn what you need to. And if you have to go back to step one and ask yourself and see if there's any more uh, missing pieces, you do that. First step is to ask yourself. Second step is to identify the missing piece. The third step is to access help specifically, not just to grab a bunch of information. And then the fourth step is not really to make a decision, but to make a plan. Okay, given what I've learned about sleep training, I think that it's the right decision for us. We are going to try sleep training. If it doesn't feel, if it's adding stress or if it's out of alignment for me, I'm going to rethink this through. I'm going to readdress it. And so instead of feeling this pressure that I have to decide that I'm team sleep train or I'm team not sleep train, I'm going to make a plan that allows for some flexibility, that allows me to check in with my values again and decide, is this still in alignment for me? And so, you know, it's what I do with my members is I take them through this. I take it them through it in pregnancy with pregnancy symptoms. This is how you use it in pregnancy. This is how you can use it in birth. This is how you use it. And I bring them back. We, you know, we have a lesson using the confident decision framework to decide sleep train or not sleep train. We have a lesson using the confident decision framework to decide, are you going to teach your baby sign language? So it's just teaching people how to make decisions so that they feel they feel confident and they don't have this mental weight of, well, is this really the right thing? Am I missing a piece of information? That one lady on TikTok said, that is just too much. We need to unload as much of that uncertainty and that me- mental load as possible. Mm-hmm. Every time people ask me, they're like, what's your biggest piece of advice for new moms or something? I'm always like, be confident in your decision. Because, for example... I was all about baby led weaning. I was like, this is what we're doing. Look, everybody else is doing it. Like, blah, blah, blah. Bought all the books. As I do, I buy books for everything. So the first time I tried baby led weaning with Milo, it was with like a piece of avocado or like a sweet potato or something. And I was like, well, we're not doing this anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I was too anxious. And I still, to this day, am very anxious about choking So it doesn't work for me. And one of the best things, I remember speaking with Kids Eat in Color, Jennifer Anderson. And I remember she said, she's like, just because something is best practice, it doesn't mean that it's best practice for you. 100%. And I was like, oh my God, it's so true. So if all variables considered are neutral, then perhaps that is the best practice. But now that I'm trying to do baby led weaning with Milo, he's gagging, it's not going that well, my anxiety is through the roof. That is a variable that you need to consider of course when is. making that decision. Because what am I gonna do? Be anxious every time I have to feed my baby? It's not working for us. Purees are fine. So out comes the blender, making purees. And so that's what I always say to people is like, if you are trying to figure out what you want to do. Like, do I want to continue breastfeeding? Do I want to do baby led weaning? Do I want my child to go to daycare? Like whatever it is, think about your own situation. Don't yes. worry about what somebody else is doing. Yes. 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 Like, And if you sit there and you're like, okay, well, I wanted to do that. I tried it. 
it's not working out for X, Y, and Z, purees are fine. It's a great option. Moving forward, if you see, like I was the only person that wasn't doing baby led weaning and my friends would come over and give their kids like full strawberries and I was like having anxiety, but not my kid, like he's having purees. You don't feel bad about that decision anymore because you have gone through the process of why you're making that decision. Exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it's, it it is important. And the, you know, the thing is, is that it's a lot of what I hear from a lot of members when they are feeling, when I introduce them to this, this, the confident decision framework, they say, well, isn't that selfish? Shouldn't I just do what's best for my baby? And I try to, what I try to explain, because I, I think that, you know, one, a no, <laughs> it's not selfish. You, you know, it's not. It really is. Your your you matter, and you are the parent, and you you need to feel comfortable and not anxious all the time. So that's number one. But number two, and this is something that I I'm so happy that I I have a degree in neuroscience, which is so random for an OBGYN, but I love the brain. So I'm a little bit of a neuro nerd. We our children and our babies can read our micro expressions. Even when we are anxious and we are trying to hide that, even when we are sad and we are trying to hide that, we are co-regulating as a family unit all of the time. So us wanting to feel well and whole and not anxious is us wanting our family to feel well and whole and not anxious. If you are anxious while you're feeding your baby, you are signaling to them, hey, this might not be safe. And then they're they're associating, okay, this food, I don't know what it is. Mom's giving me a little bit of the the anxiety face. <laughs> Something about this situation isn't isn't safe, right? Yes. So we signal to our children that they are invi- we want to signal to them that their environment is safe when it is safe. Okay, sometimes the environment isn't safe and that's okay. And we don't, you know, there's no point in trying to hide our emotions, you know, to some degree. You 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 <laughs> We hide our emotions from our kids, but we don't need to do it all the time. We just need to be caring for ourselves and taking our intuition and our voice and our experience into account. And I feel like most things that are black and white, so let's say breastfeeding, sleep training, all these things in parenting, which are very like, this is the only way to do it, or like, it's the other way. Most of those things are very, the people who are arguing for, you can only do it this way. This is the best way. They're looking at it through a baby centric lens. Like it's only the baby that matters. And I just was tagged in this TikTok. And it's funny because I talk a lot about like sleep training and attachment. And I don't know how I became like this spokesperson for sleep training (laughs) because I didn't even sleep train Milo. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I just, but I will say it was a luxury and we are lucky that we did not have to sleep train and that we had that choice because our situation, maternity leave, all the things. So I got tagged in this TikTok by, the TikTok was a man speaking. It was Gabor Mate. He's like a massive parenting person. And it was about sleep training. And he was, he's totally against sleep training. I think he's a psychologist. I'm Jewish. He's Jewish. And he's, he has a little, yeah. (laughs) 
some so not I, popular views in the Jewish community. Yeah. Yes. And I'm pretty sure he's like laser focused on just the baby's well-being. Oh, of course he is. And like, yeah. I remember I did an interview with a psychologist about attachment and we talked a lot about sleep training. And that's what she was saying. Like people who are against it are only thinking about the baby and they're not thinking about, you know, the millions of interactions that happen after sleep training is done, where now you are able to properly respond to your child throughout the day, day in and day out, because everybody is well rested. Anyway, she was like, you need to have this guy on your podcast and just have like a casual conversation and like pick his brain about how parents matter too. And like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I was like, I, then someone tagged me in that TikTok and I was like, oh my God, do I have to fight this man? Like, do (laughs) do I have to get him on the podcast? Listen, you know, because for so long women were the primary caretakers and only recently men have kind of come in and and, and started playing that role, it's just like, just shut up and deal with it. Just shut up and deal with it. Do, do, and the idea that our, this idea of the whole family, looking at the whole family and all the different inputs into a baby's health and development there's, it's not just breast milk and sleep training. <laughs> there's like, you know, and it's, they're not listening to us. A lot of times the, le- the experts aren't listening to the parents and to, the, especially to the the moms who are saying, no, this was the right choice for me. And for they're me. saying, well, the data says, it's like, okay, we need, the data is important. Studies are important. Research is important. But there, there's an art to living as well. We can't just make decisions just based on on research papers. Yeah, 100%. And also, like, there are outliers to everything. So you can't, even what you're finding in a research paper, most often you cannot generalize that to everybody. Yes, people don't realize that. Yeah, And yeah. most often, like, these research papers for parenting things are not looking at confounding variables ever. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. 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 Anyways. Okay. This was a great conversation. So to end, I thought you could tell us where people can find you, how they can sign up to your program. When does the program start? Is it like as soon as people conceive or tell us all the things about it? Yeah. It starts when you are preparing for pregnancy and you are thinking about trying to conceive. So we we have our course. It's a membership that comes with an entire curriculum that guides you through from trying to conceive all the way through the toddler years. And we have monthly live Zooms. We do Q&As. We have experts come in. We have a, a lactation consultant who does a breastfeeding support group and answers questions. We have pediatricians and other you know, child experts who come in and talk to our members. And so you can learn more about that at sterlingparents.com. And then I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Sterling OBGYN. Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. And I'm jealous that you're in San Diego and and I'm in Toronto wearing a toque. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm looking at the ocean right now. I'm not going to lie. It's not too bad. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. I'm going to LA in November and I'm like, oh, I can't wait. Will it still be nice weather? Yeah. Yeah. It it's going to be nicer than here, let's be honest. So, I mean, November sometimes has, like, Thanksgiving is some sometimes, like, the most beautiful day of the year, I swear. When, I love... when is American Thanksgiving? Oh, I never right. even thought of that. Yeah, we are. It's a, it's the, I think it's the fourth Thursday or the third, th- the third Thursday of the month. Oh, okay. 
last Thursday of the month. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm going to look this into year, that. This year, it is, I think, on like the 25th or 4th, something like that. Oh, okay. I'll be yeah. back here. All yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. <laughs> well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha <laughs> ha